Welcome back to our season in the house. Mike Russo and Anthony LaPanta coming to you from the uh, LaPanta household where Margo is definitely doing dry January. I just learned that. <laughs> uh, there's a little more of an edge right now in <laughs> <Holy> our house. <laughs> hell. <laughs> I've never seen anything like I, that. I predict I might do something right in February. We'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't, that, like to me, the dry January, that, that, that's reason enough. People are just in bad moods, man. Uh, I, I am in a great mood. And for me, I decided to go with like a healthier January and that seems to keep me in a stable state of mind, but I I'm in favor of all the cleanses and challenges and new studies and everything. But it, every once in a while, it takes a little bit of a toll on the rest of the people. I do like coming here because uh, <laughs> Phil and Stanley are always so excited to see me. Um, they always want to treat. Does it actually bother you that there's a bunch of lambs running around the world with no lungs? Well, no, it, actually, it's never crossed my mind. That, and I got a feeling like there were other problems for the lamb before he lost his lung. That's true. To a dog treat. Yeah. Uh, lamb lung. It's just That's a, a, it's a delicatessen yeah, for the I puppies. I always tell, explain to Phil and Stanley what they're about to eat, but they don't seem to care. They still chow it down. No, they're excited. All right, so uh, next live show is January 16th at Tuttle's. Holy crap, Margo's giving me faces. Yeah. Margo, go sit down. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, this Janu is great. At least it's yeah. split in half right now. Janu <laughs> January 16th, 7 p.m. at Tuttle's uh, is our next live show. As always, we have Grain Belt as our uh, awesome sponsor uh, for the podcast. If you come early, uh, come at 6, 5.45, 6, have some dinner. Get a pint of grain belt. You get to keep the glass as long as the uh, supplies last. It's a worst seats in the house uh, glass. You and I have to figure out a way to get to one of, one of those glasses as well. I'd be in for that. Would I have to show up at five forty five? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, we'll we'll still show all up right. at six fifty nine. All right. Let's see if we can make it work. Um. All right. So, uh, today is the day that Jesper Volstad makes his NHL debut against Dallas Stars. Changing it up down there in uh, Dallas, Texas, uh, where Joe Smith is uh, today, uh, covering it for the Athletic. Um, obviously, he can't score goals, although he has had a tendency of scoring goals in his uh, professional career here. He scored a beautiful one last year. Um, can't get on the power play, but you know sometimes you just need to change it up, and maybe this provides a bit of a jolt to you know motivate the team to defend um, and also you know get on the attack and win him his uh, first ever game of what should be a long career. Yeah, I think it's an exciting time for the franchise, number one. They've been talking about this guy since they drafted him, and goaltending prospects are probably as difficult to accurately judge as any position in sport, but he seems to pass every test as he's gone through it, both physically and mentally and size-wise, all of those things. I think it's an indication of three things, probably. Number one is that Philip Gustafson isn't, quite ready to be back. That's the obvious one. Number two is that they know they can't continue to ride Marc-Andre Fleury every single mm -hmm. night. As good as he's been during this stretch where he's played every game, you know that by continuing to play him right now, eventually you're going to hit the night where he just doesn't have it. But more importantly, you might wear him out for later in the season when you need him to be able to play, even if it's not every other night, maybe every other game where it's every third or fourth day. And then the third thing is that I also think it shows you just the importance they feel that this little stretch is right now for their season. The season's hanging in the balance right now, and they don't have much margin for error. 
nothing against Zane McIntyre, but the guy hasn't played in the NHL in six years. Solid guy to have in your organization as a backup, but they couldn't right now in this spot put a game like this on his shoulders. I think this just shows you that they're looking at tonight in Dallas and then the back-to-backs at home where Wallstead would have to play one of the two. Mm-hmm. These games are critical right now as this team tries to hang on and continue to at least stay within striking distance until the time they get the rest of their guys back. Yeah, I do get the impression that Gustafson is getting uh, closer. Um, closer, but if he yeah. was, if they thought he could play one of the two this weekend, no way. Yeah. then you play Flurry yeah. tonight and you just yeah. and you fight your way to that point. I think right now this just tells you that it's at least next week and that right. road trip before yeah. Gustafson's. I ready. think sometimes the way the Wild announce injuries when it, you know they're uh, when they announce week to week, people sometimes think that's eight weeks. And the way the Wild week to week is a one to two week injury, like right. the pre sub just means the it's way that, more than the yeah. the next three days. Yeah, that's their uh, verbiage. Um, so you know, Volstead will get the start. He started in Dallas last season in the preseason and and won a game there. And as usual in home games in the exhibition season, the home team usually plays a requisite lineup. And he reminded us that he played a lot of these Dallas players. So he'll get his uh, NHL debut. Um, you know, it is it is interesting. Like Flower obviously has played well, but man, wouldn't you like to know how that game would have ended the other night if he doesn't give up that leaky second goal? Like, I, you can't blame him because he made some unbelievable saves before that, right? But that that's just a goal that's got to be stopped, right? It does, and you there's just no margin for error right now with how little the team is able to score. And I thought that night the game changed when Dallas scored the shorthanded goal in the first period. Minnesota was all over him at the start of the game. Loved the start. They just couldn't score. And then all of a sudden they give up the shorthanded goal and it was, it was just a sag. They had 10 shots on goal over the last 40 minutes. So it's hard to look at one bad goal given up by your goalie and say that if that one doesn't go in, it's different. But the truth is I just didn't, it was one of the few times this season that I felt like the team didn't respond very well to adversity and they and you got to give Dallas some credit for it I think Dallas's defensive core was really good it was really hard to get to the middle of the ice for Minnesota without Heiskanen too and and I think it was an it was a team playing in front of a goaltender where they felt like we got to commit to defending tonight in front of this guy who hasn't played in the NHL in a year and only played three games in the NHL in his life Murray made some huge saves early yeah. in the game, but then he really wasn't tested the rest of the and way. And Tyler Sagan said that after the game. And I know that, you know, the, uh, the wise guys out there and wise women out there uh, were responding to the headline in my tweet, like, oh, unless Gus, unless uh, Volstead can score tonight. But that is my point, is that a lot of times when you throw a, a young goalie in there, like a Matt Murray or, Ye- or Jesper Volstead, that that essentially says to the guys, we got to protect this guy. We got to defend and start from that point. And I do think the one reason why this team is struggling right now is because of the lack of the Spurgeons and the Brodines right now, less so than Caprisa. Like uh, they cannot get out of their zone cleanly and get on the attack. And I think that is why their five on five scoring right now has been abysmal. The last six games is that this was a good five on five team for most of the year. And right now they just um, really other than favor, they just do not get out of their zone without a chip off the glass or a, you know, it's just nothing's clean up the ice right now. Well, and that was one of the things that Hines stressed when he got here was we're going to make it so it's easier, more organized, more structured to make it easier to get out of the zone. And it was such a huge difference for those first few games. And then all you're right, all of a sudden you start to lose guys that are 
as efficient as anybody in the league at getting pucks going the other direction. And they have struggled. And it's incredible how disorganized you can look when you can't complete a pass. Yeah. And it isn't because the structure is any different. It's just that you can't execute. And I thought it was the, I think it was the Tampa game where it felt like they completed the first pass and the second pass, if they were 15% on that in the game, I'd be surprised. How many of them were in skates, heel of the stick, just out of reach, and now it looks like everybody's out of whack. Well, they are because they're expecting that next pass to be made, and when it isn't, people aren't in the right spot. Yeah, and that's when you start to really look slow and things like that. Um, You know, uh, we've seen the best of Boldy and Rossi the last couple games, and we've seen the worst of them, and that's, I think, sort of the next step in each of their careers is to just find that consistency, right? Two games against Tampa Bay, both of them were – Terrible. Uh, Johansson, uh, Boldy, and Rossi didn't even have a shot on goal. Rossi and, and Boldy had one shot attempt each. Then they go to Columbus, and they're just absolutely dominant. Uh, Boldy, seven shots on goal, a three-point game, including two goals. Rossi saves one goal defensively, breaks up the uh, three-on-three in overtime to start the transition the other way, and then obviously scores the overtime winner. And then last game, again, I didn't think that they were very good. So do you think that is sort of the next step in their sort of maturations as young, young hockey players? Yeah, I do. Although I I think for Boldy, the Tampa game was really the only one where I felt like his game slipped Mm -hmm. in this stretch of about eight. If you look at his shot attempts, a guy is going to miss the net sometimes. There's no doubt about it. But his shot attempts over the six game stretch were in the seven, eight, nine, seven, eight, nine, then zero or one with zero on goal against Tampa. Then he had 11 the next night against Columbus. And then he was in the high single digits again in the game against Dallas. I thought his game still looked aggressive and assertive. He just couldn't get pucks through and get them on net. And Dallas blocked a lot of shots. And that's where I was saying, I think you had to give Dallas a little credit for that. But there's no question that those young guys, and they're not the only ones all around the league, when you look, when young players become proven players, it's when their consistency elevates. And for Boldy and Rossi, that's for sure a a part of the step. Now, the other thing I'd say about Rossi is so much of his game is responsibility, and that I haven't seen slip maybe ever this Mm -hmm. season. It's been good every single night. His effort level has been good. I think where you see a difference with him is assertiveness offensively, where when he gets some confidence early in a game, you just see him elevate the rest of the night. And all of a sudden he's hanging on to pucks a little longer. He's waiting for plays to develop. And when he's been knocked off a couple pucks early, he tends to get a little jittery offensively, but Boldy's game is more just the offensive end. So I think it becomes a little more visible. Our newest sponsor is Olivia weight control centers. I'll tell you a little bit more about them in a little bit. Um, Anthony, the wild are three and five inside the division. Haven't played a ton of division games, but they're 0-5 against Winnipeg, Dallas, and Colorado. Um, I know how much you uh, think that the Wild are top three in this uh, division at the end of the day if they're a healthy team and and the normal team. Does that concern you that they just are not playing well against these teams? It's not. I mean, they are just not playing well in any of these games. But here, I think what the thing you have to remember, and I saw a couple of people that had posted tweets to. You know, does LaPanta still say the Wild are third in the division? Well, 
in hindsight, it's easy to look at standings now and say, what an idiot who thinks this team's the third best in the division. At the beginning of the season, I thought they were the third best team in the division. I believe when healthy, talent-wise, their roster is still the third best in the division. Nobody would bet on this right now and say they're going to finish third. The three teams that have separated themselves have banked so many points that it's going to be almost impossible to catch them. And so you're asking two different questions, I think. Isn't it crazy, just real quick to interrupt you, that the Wild could have pulled within, I think, four Right. of Winnipeg, and they're 20 points behind them right now. Right. And That's so crazy. It is. And so, and that was a week ago. Yeah. And well, a week and a half. And so they happen to catch these teams. What's What really is going to be tough for the Wild is that early in the season when they were healthy, and in, then even during that streak where they were playing really well under Hines, they weren't seeing any divisional teams. And so now all of a sudden they happen to catch Winnipeg twice and Dallas twice when they are at their absolute worst spot ever with their roster in terms of health. Terrible timing to catch the two teams that really were the two that you felt were maybe the the bubble-ish teams, the two, three, four type teams in the division behind Colorado. Well, this is the worst time ever to catch them. And it's actually, it's an interesting discussion for another, maybe we need to get into it right now, but that is the argument that the NHL has always had against playing back-to-back games, playing the two-game series. Remember during COVID when everybody said, oh, this is great. You face so much fun to face the same team twice. Well, the argument against has always been, what if you go face Edmonton twice and it happens to be when Connor McDavid's out and you play him twice in four days and now you never face him that, that season? Your fans never see him if it was the two games here. Well, this is an indication of how dangerous that is. You put a team like Minnesota, hey, here are your two games head-to-head against your rival, the team you're battling in your division, Winnipeg, and because you play them on two days in a row when you happen to be missing seven guys, those are your well, only I, I two just, shots at them. Yeah, I was just thinking that the other day when Winnipeg is trying to become number one in the NHL and they're going to San Jose and Anaheim. Right. The Wilds still haven't played those haven't teams. Haven't played them. So yeah. now One team's now, minus 90 in gold right. in Metro. The so, other team's like minus 40. And that's where I was going to go with the second part of this. Is So now, yes, the Wild are struggling within the division, but it's all been against the elite. Yeah. They haven't played Arizona yet. They haven't played, and I know Arizona's record's good, but we all know that the difference are the three teams at the top. Their only divisional games have been there. So they've seen the Blues once. They haven't seen Chicago, Nashville. Yeah, they those saw teams. Chicago, Chicago once. once. They beat the crap St. Louis once. Nashville once. So the, they got all those games left Wouldn't against those teams. Wouldn't you like to play teams. Chicago now without right. Bedard? Exactly. So now, and then you haven't played San Jose and Anaheim yet. So they've got a lot of games left against the teams that are below them in the standings. And they've got a shot, to, but they have to be able to make hay against those teams when they do. I just think right now it's unfortunate. You're in a stretch of, what is it, over a six-game period. You've got two with Winnipeg and two with Dallas, and you happen to be playing them when you're in your most crippled state as a roster. That's unfortunate because you'd like to see how you measure up against those teams with everything, with all your weapons, and and then just see, are you good enough or not? Yeah. Uh, I will say this. I'll be interested to see... Um, how they play against Arizona this weekend, especially after a second of a back-to-back, after playing a very hard uh, playing Philadelphia Flyers team the night before. Because I watched Arizona last night against Boston. They're a good team. They are they a are good, good team. And But I think they're a team that it's some, we've seen it with other teams too. Once you gain a little confidence and you get a little swagger and now you believe you can win those games, they've won a ton of games in that kind of fashion where it's, 
I watched the game too last night. Boston hits three posts. Charlie Coyle hits one late in regulation. Pasternak hits one on a breakaway in the overtime. They both hit posts, and then Arizona goes down and, and scores on the first. The Boston goaltender gets hurt. They bring in another guy. The first shot he faces beats him in the overtime. I mean, though, when, when have we seen Charlie Coyle hit a post in overtime before? Never. Never. Uh, never. But, and, then, uh, and then a minute later, was it Payarvi that scored and ended the wild season? Yeah. Who was that against the Blues? That was, it was Payarvi. Yeah, yeah, it was. And, but it, I'm just saying that we saw it with the wild a couple of years ago where they just had that magic going and it just felt like somehow, some way they were going to find a way. And I think that's what Arizona's got going a little bit right now, where I think they just, no matter what's going on in the game, they've, they've got a little magic right now and good for them. It's not, yeah. it isn't, but any one of those pucks goes in if you're not on the kind of roll they're on right now. And then we'll see. I still don't, I'm still not buying that they are what their record says they are, but we'll mm -hmm. see. We're halfway through the season now. See Dumba and Coyle get into it last night? I did. That was fun. All right. Uh, I, I mentioned Livia weight control uh, centers, and there's uh, nine in the Twin Cities that you could choose from. Um, I highly, highly recommend them. This is a new year, and so it's time for you to choose you. If you've tried every which way to lose weight and just haven't seen the results you want, I'd like to introduce you to the Livia Way. The Livia Way is a personalized one-on-one -on -one approach to help you not only lose weight, but also boost your self-confidence and guide you to a healthier and happier version of yourself. If you join Livia today, you'll get your first month, three months free. Three months free if you join Livia today. Guess what? I am now a brand ambassador for Livia. I really appreciated the one-on-one -on -one support that I received at my first couple of meetings at my Livia Center. They wanted to know all about my days. Then Taylor made a plan to fit perfectly with my daily life whether it's travel days or those 5 a.m. to 1 a.m. days that happen a lot in this business that Anthony never has to deal with because he's on the lead well, charter and all that stuff. I'm not a brand ambassador of anything. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> Nobody wants you, Anthony. It's because you're perfectly fit. That's why. Uh, in fact, my first two weeks, I've, I've dropped already 12 pounds. Join Olivia today and get your first three months free. Visit Olivia.com. That's Olivia.com, L-I-V-E-A.com, or call 855-GO-LIVIA. Uh, there are locations in Apple Valley, Coon Rapids, Minnetonka, Roseville, St. Cloud, Woodbury, Rochester, Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and Edina. Livia is now offering breakthrough weight loss medication options as well. Visit Livia.com or call 855-GO-LIVIA. This new year, choose you and get started on your weight loss journey the Livia way. You can tell them that Russo uh, sent you. And here's a word from Bosch Law Firm. Hey, hockey fans. Jerry Bosch here again from Bosch Law Firm and WorkCompExperts.com. If you're injured at work, it's never too soon to contact the lawyers and awesome staff at Bosch Law Firm. We'll answer all your questions, help you set up your work comp claim, and help you select professionals who will be there to help you, not the insurance company. And with almost 30 years of litigation experience, if your benefits are denied, we'll fight to get you paid. Bosch Law Firm. The call's always free and there's never a fee unless we obtain benefits on your behalf. Call or text us at 651-333-8300 or visit us at workcompexperts.com. Well, I'm not a grand ambassador, but I like the store. And I'm talking about Twill at the Galleria in Edina. It's a great spot for any kind of menswear. They do have suits and ties, but they also have a lot more of the casual sportswear lines. We talked about the fact I was going to wear my new twill sweater from Peter Millar when we went to Columbus, but then you had better plans and went out for dinner with somebody else, so you didn't get a chance to evaluate it. But I loved it. I actually got a couple compliments on it that day. I even got one from my wife, and which was rare, especially in January. 
But I do love the sweater, and they've also got a great new college line. I think I mentioned it on an earlier show that they've got some of your school colors from some of the Minnesota universities. So check that out. It's a great spot for any of your casual sportswear. It's Twill at the Galleria in Edina. Uh, back here, worst seats in the house, Michael Russo, Anthony LaPanta. January 16th, our next live show at Tuttle's. Uh, Margo's all excited about our Bar La Grassa dinner tomorrow. She is excited about that. It's it, yeah, it's not part of the January deal. So just, she, yeah, she'll so just she, uh, she not in, drink, eat, drink coffee, nothing, or go to restaurants. Yeah, and she it is sounds great. she is eating, but it's not. It's like only we had a we had a solid dinner last night and made the stir fry for Ariana and I. And Margot wanted only the chicken, no nothing else, no vegetables, what? no nothing. I, I don't know. It's a, don't you need veggies? I think, I think you do, but apparently they're the devil in January. So <laughs> we're not having any veg and no vegetables. So, and then the, this was just, this is just a little glimpse into the, how happy she is with me these days is that when we talked about this dinner at Bar La Grassa, by the way, you're not was, helping. I'm just telling you. Oh, I know I'm not, but I'm just saying, <laughs> cause you met, brought up the La Grassa dinner and I, okay. I love La Grassa and and I said, well, well, you can certainly go. <laughs> and so that if, and, and, it, and that tone was pretty accurate. So I'm off drinking know, too, by the way. I know every, oh, I, yeah. And it's, it's a healthy ish, healthier dry ish January for me. So I'm on board too, where it's, it's a healthy month. It's going to be a good time. We're it's going to be Bush a, and a couple of the flyers people. We yeah. can learn a little bit about the whole cutter Gautier stuff. Uh, let's actually yep. talk about that in a second. Um, by the way, I wonder if Phil wants some lamb lung. He might, right. but yeah. All right. There's shiny objects over there. Um, okay. Uh, Tyler Seas wants to know, what are your expectations for Volley if he makes his first start? We're going to call him Volley since that's how you pronounce it, even though he wrote it Wally. The great, great Vol of St. Paul. I don't know. Um, what, what are your expectations today? I actually have high expectations for him. Like it would, it really wouldn't shock me if he comes out and plays great in the wild uh, rally around this. Yeah. I haven't had a chance to see I will see say him. there are some guys missing at the morning skate right now. That could be a, a bit of a, well, it wouldn't be a wild morning skate if yeah. everybody was healthy and present, would it? No. And I, I haven't had a chance to see Volstead a ton and obviously never against high end NHL talent. Got a chance to see him a little bit when the team was in Sweden during practices and everything. And certainly looks the part. He's a big athletic guy. One of the interesting conversations I had was with the Dallas broadcasters. And I think they're, they're really good. Josh Bogorads and, yep. and Daryl Ray. They watched Wallstead when he played against the Stars in the preseason game to which you referred earlier against a pretty good Dallas lineup. And they had nothing but great memories of what they saw that night. and. So who knows you could see the guy come out and fire a bullet tonight. And as far as expectations go, I think it's kind of interesting because let's just say he plays great. And then he gets one of the two games against Philly and Arizona at home and plays great again. Truth is that once Gustafson's healthy, he's going back to Iowa, no matter what happens this week, mm -hmm. they're not going to, they're not going to keep him up here and, get rid of Marc-Andre Fleury or Philip Gustafson. They're just not, and they're not going to carry three goaltenders. So he's going to, he'll probably get two games up here, go back to Iowa, but it'll be really interesting to at least get a glimpse of what the future of the wild might hold. We've been talking so much about how much fun it is to watch. And I think I mentioned it a couple shows ago that 
this young core for Minnesota is different than the previous young core that came up and turned out to be all really good NHL players and part of a, a really good run where the Wild were in the playoffs every year. But now we're looking at guys that have a chance to be superstars. Boldy, Rossi, Faber, there was all the talk about those three on the ice together for the game winner in Columbus. And now I think you add Volstead to that, where you've got a goaltender, a defenseman, a center, and a winger that are all at this point in their career, this young age, you might be looking at the backbone of the wild for the next eight, 10 years with those four guys. Absolutely. And that's why I can't wait to see guys like you show up and, and, and players like that. Maybe we'll get to see a Damon hunt play. Well, um, Ed Asner goes, uh, what would the, uh, wild hypothetically have to do to get, uh, Trevor Zegers out of Anaheim and afford him? Uh, if they afforded him, they would not have any interest in him. I can promise you that. Um, but let's talk a little Wait, bit about that. guy's that. name was Ed Asner? Yeah, that's his name on Twitter. It's, it's, his name is actually Stingy Mark. <laughs> right. uh, but it, I like Ed Asner. Um, the, uh, I don't think it's the real Ed Asner. Um, <laughs> Mr. Grant? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, the Wild don't have any interest in Zegras. But let's talk about the Jamie Drysdale and Cutter Gauthier uh, uh, trade. Wow, that was out of the blue. And um, so it, it, to, to recap, uh, Cutter Gauthier uh, last May essentially um, told the... Philadelphia Flyers, after saying he was born to be a flyer, that he had no interest in uh, signing with them. Uh, that is the reports that are coming out. Um, there was another report by our Kevin Kurz, who we were going with uh, with Margot uh, Tabar LaGrasa, um, to uh, that, that imagine this, John LeClaire, I mean, Flyers legend, and Patrick Sharp, one of the classiest players that have ever played the game for the Flyers that absolutely loved go to BC and he wouldn't not meet with them. So that was the beginning of the end. Um, didn't Keith Jones go to Sweden to yeah, talk to yeah, him? Yeah. The then they tried to get him at the world juniors and then meetings. Yeah. There. So Briere and, and Keith Jones said enough. So what they did is I think um, what, which was, was shocking to, you know, in a league where people like to leak, um, especially, the, you know, as the cobweb spreads out and, you know, a GM calls a GM and then the GM starts talking to the assistant GM and the assistant GM and the GM start talking to scouts. What do you think of this guy? All of a sudden it usually gets out that, that a pl the player is up for grabs. This one was kept completely secret. I think for a couple reasons, I think that if you were going to trade a fifth overall pick like Cutter Gauthier, you identified a specific amount of prospects and probably a very small amount of prospects that you would be interested in. And then you're only negotiating with those teams so it's not like 31 teams, one knew that Cutter Gauthier was available. There might've been two, three, four max. And one, they picked a great partner in Anaheim because Pat Verbeek doesn't say anything to the media um, and, and things like that. But this was a fifth overall pick for a sixth overall pick in Jamie Drysdale. A lot of people have asked me on Twitter, were the Wild in on this with their, you know, quote unquote, alleged uh, deep prospect pool. The Wild don't have anybody in their organization other than Brock Faber, that is Jamie Drysdale. Drysdale is a sixth overall pick. This is not Carson Lambos. This isn't Jack Parrott. This isn't Damon Hunt. This isn't Ryan O'Rourke. To get to get Cutter Gauthier, they wanted a top echelon puck moving defenseman, and that clearly was Jamie Drysdale. So even if the Wild got a call, I don't think they would have been able to beat this package of Drysdale on a second for him. Um, and it's it's a great move, and we're going to see Jamie Drysdale on the ice in XL Energy Center in a couple days. And it could end up being one of the rare trades that's just it's good for both sides right. because it's a fresh start the drysdale situation was interesting in anaheim because contract dispute. well he he first missed 
74 games last year. He got yeah. hurt early in the season and then missed the last 74 games. Then he held out, which I don't think the organization was real happy about no. this deal. The guys played a, a season and then eight games of a second season and holds out. He shows up at camp the last day of camp and winds up getting hurt again and missing 25 games or 30 games to start this season. So I think my guess, I don't obviously have any inside information from the Ducks, but it certainly appears that the organization wasn't real thrilled with him off the ice in, rather than his play on the ice. Yeah, even but though I will <laughs> just say, like I, I've talked to people in Anaheim, apparently a great kid, you know. Right, but so, understand yeah. all this yeah, stuff, yeah, uh, when yeah. you hold out at that point yeah. in your career, there are it sticks with people. We yeah. talked about it with Kaprizov when he was holding out. We were wondering how long it could go on before somebody in the organization, players included, would start to feel some bitterness toward a guy holding out at that point in his career. And I'm sure there's a little fear of that. But your point is valid in that there's still something about guys that are drafted at that point in the draft and that are at this point in their career. They weren't going to trade a guy who was a fifth overall pick for a guy even a year or two further in his development that was taken in the second round or pick 40. And the Wild haven't had a pick in the top six since 2005. And that that's why they just don't have the guys that are looked at as upside that can potentially match what you're giving away. Because anytime you trade a guy at the point that the Flyers trade here, you're always just paranoid about the fact that what if this guy goes and turns into what everybody thought he was going to be when he was picked in the top six in the draft? If he goes there and now we look like fools for giving up on a guy at this stage of his career. And there's always that fear. So at least this way, you get a guy back with the same kind of potential and upside and perception of upside. And now we'll see what happens. Drysdale has really shown flashes of being a terrific player. I'm anxious to see him with the Flyers this weekend. Um, Joey asks, uh, do you see Johansson or Merrill being buyout candidates this summer? Seems like their games have fallen off a cliff. Um, I don't think, I mean, you still get Marcus Johansson back at $2 million. That's a, that's a, a, a good, and we're starting to see him playing much, much better. He's still a guy that could get that puck up the ice. Um, obviously scored the huge tying goal the other night uh, in Columbus. I don't see that. Um, Merrill, um, is, I would think, is either, if, you know, I haven't crunched the numbers, but it's not going to be expensive. Uh, you know, it's, and we haven't really counted their entire cap hit, uh, cap uh, situation going into the summer. I mean, buyout or just somebody that you throw on waivers and put them in the minors, I think uh, that might be probably the most prudent thing to do if you still believe that he's an NHL defenseman, but he's not good enough to be in your top six or seven next year. And clearly I don't, I wouldn't, I would agree that he's not playing great um, by any stretch of the imagination. I was actually shocked. He played last game after the penalty he took at, at the end of the third period in Columbus. Um, but, you know, I think that he's somebody that probably you would consider keeping, but if he's not good enough, I think that you throw him in the minors next year. That's where I would lean. I'll go back to Johansson first. I think Johansson's game has looked significantly better lately. And 13 points in his last 17, that's the, if you get that kind of production from him, he isn't going to be an 80 point scorer, mm -hmm. but he could be a 45, 50 point guy. And the current little stretch he's on since early December, when he finally broke the seal and got back on the score sheet, his games look different. And I think a part of what you always have to remember about guys like Johansson is he's not a guy who can drive the offense, but when he's a part of it, your offense is better. And he's a guy who probably suffered as much as anybody from the injuries to the other forwards because it put him in a spot where it was unfair to expect him to be able to carry the load. 
But when Kirill Kaprizov's on a different line and he's playing with somebody else and not getting the attention of the top mm-hmm. D pair and the top shutdown line of the opposition, he can still be a valuable part of the team. We've seen him be valuable on that second power play unit. That's been a big part of the reason why that group has had some success lately. As far as Merrill goes, I I don't think he's a guy you just, I don't think there's any reason to buy him out. I don't think there's a reason to get rid of the guy. If he's your seventh or eighth defenseman, you're fine. Even sixth where he's playing sometimes, but I agree with you. If you put him on waivers, is there really a risk somebody's going to grab him? I'd say doubtful. And if somebody so, grabs him, they grab him. Right. So it would be that's no yeah. different than a buyout then. Yeah. So I'd say why not just see what happens, see where the rest of your young guys develop over the course of the summer, and then if nothing changes, perhaps you put him on waivers next year in camp and, and he winds up being your insurance policy defenseman. Let's say he's your Dakota Mermis next year, the veteran guy that comes out of the minors when you have a guy get injured. He'd certainly be a guy that could fill that role. And uh, just news from the morning skate, not only is Volstead making his NHL debut that we mentioned at the top, but uh, Marcus Foligno and Marcus Johansson are game-time decisions with illnesses. Uh, Alex Goligoski is in for Damon Hunt. Um, you know, doing the math in my head, they have Nick Patan down there as an extra if Johansson or Foligno uh, can't play. Now, if both can't play, the Wild would either have to call up a forward really, really quick here, or I would assume go with 7D and play uh, Damon Hunt as well, or uh, or uh, maybe play Marc-Andre Fleury at forward. Who knows? He does play forward at Beer League, as he always tells me. Um, in fact, he's invited me out a couple times, so uh, maybe one day I'll fly to Montreal and do that story. Um, Tara Bear goes, is this call-up a make or break for someone like Sammy Walker for his future with the Wild, with the other prospects coming next year? I see the likes of him and Beckman getting lost in the shuffle. Uh, yeah, this uh, first of all, the injury to Beckman has come at a bad time because he would 100% be called up during this stretch over some of these other guys. Uh, Sammy Walker, for them to flip him with Adam Raska the other day, that was 100% a message to Sammy Walker that his two games here are just, uh, you know, it doesn't matter where you are in the lineup. You have to show up. And I thought it was interesting when I asked um, John Hines in Columbus about him, Anthony. You know, John has an interesting way of speaking. He clearly does not like to criticize people, especially young people. But he did mention a couple times in that competitiveness. And I think that he just, again, just didn't do enough to make his presence felt and for them to flip him with a guy that we all had to Google to even make sure that he was actually a member of the organization, that we know in two games that we've watched him play, Adam Raska is a competitor. Um, I think that was a, that was a message to Sammy. It was. I liked Raska's game. Yeah. He was physical right away. His first shift, he won a puck battle on the wall and then made a play with the puck. And he he's the guy that the Wild acquired in the Addison trade and looked like a guy who could certainly help you in that kind of a role, fourth line role. And Hines was very complimentary. He said, when you call up a guy to play on the fourth line, that's what you're hoping to see from him is competitiveness, feistiness, physical play. The message to Walker had to be as simple as look, when you get your chance to come up here and show us that we made a mistake by sending you down, it's got to look different than this. I like Sammy Walker. I, his speed is, is his game, but he didn't show it in those games. And I thought the first game he played, the way he got knocked off pucks and thrown around was probably a little bit of an eye-opener of just what the difference is between the American Hockey League and the National Hockey League, facing the size, speed, strength of NHL players. I thought he was a little better game two, but it was uh, it was not enough to warrant yeah. staying up here. And I think he's going to have to – it might take a little bit now before he gets the next chance. Yeah, uh, although, uh, you know, again, uh, the Wild don't have a lot of, of, a lot of uh, depth down there, so – 
they might have no have no choice. But I I would agree with the premise of the question that once next year Liam Ogren gets here, Murat Husnadinov gets here, maybe Danilo Yurov. Although uh, you know it just certainly seems like he's going to resign in Russia for at least a year. Um, you know I do think that we're going to start to see uh, uh, you know Sammy kind of fall down the depth chart. Um, I haven't even you know off the top of my head remember his contract status. I mean he might be. Uh, region as well um paul meyer our old buddy from uh our trip last season that uh also gave me a bunch of hawaii trips um asked what did nick patan do to warrant riding the bench uh last in the columbus game uh he played it is interesting he played four shifts right or five shifts total one after the first period if you look at the first goal by cole Sillinger, i think we saw right away what john Hines saw and then his next shift too he absolutely um you know made a mistake defensively and i just think that was a sign of a coach that didn't trust him uh, at all. Yeah, he was beaten to the net on the on the goal. And I think there was a little bit of a message sent there by Hines that I don't know how much veteran guys really pick up on that message when a young guy's the guy that gets benched like that. I think you the message is a little more severe if all of a sudden you say to Marcus Felino that wasn't good enough, but that's exactly why. The the veteran guys have a little more rope. They've they've proven themselves over a longer stretch of time. But I think it was a message sent that, hey, look, if this happens, I got no problems putting a guy on the bench. And Patan that night, I'm not sure he saw the ice after, I think it was a couple minutes into the second period was his last shift. And sometimes when you're calling the game and you start to watch and you're like, oh, we're we're throwing that guy on that line, we're throwing that guy on that line. And then you realize like, okay, I haven't seen this guy the last four times his lines come through. So pretty evident. And when we talked to Heinz about it the next day, he just said essentially that, that it wasn't good enough, wasn't acceptable. And, and therefore he won't play. And I'm more than happy to, and that night it was Zuccarello who got a ton of the extra minutes. And it was coincidentally, we had had a chat with John that morning about the different types of players. And he had mentioned Zuccarello as a guy that could be the driver of the offense because of his motor. And he said it, he just has the ability to take on a, high, a heavier workload. Well, then, sure enough, that's what happened that night, coincidentally. And he how, about, how about the game against Dallas shifts. where he played a three-minute, 48-second shift in the first because he played a long, even-strength shift, drew the penalty, then the power play. He was right out there with the number one unit, then drew the second power play and was on there so for five-on-three. Five on three, and then the next, right. like, it was just crazy. I'm like, I but could not wait. But he has that ability yeah. to... Although I, don't I do want to think say he get, I it. think he gets tired, well, he and that's where tired. they get. That's right. where they, he, you know, that power play when he is exhausted. That's when it really starts. to Yeah, suck. it was different. But he, it, and I don't want to say he plays with a governor. That's not right. But he has a great way of knowing that this play right here doesn't require a hundred percent exertion because it's. I'm not likely to be able to make something happen out of this anyway. So I can this play. Let's just make the easier play, the less physically draining play. So he has that ability because then all of a sudden he can pick it, kick it into gear in a blink of an eye and, and make something happen. Um, do you want $98 off any home repair? Are you feeling overwhelmed by a growing to-do list and a shrinking schedule? Spending more time st- stressing over household repairs and enjoying life? You're not alone and Aquarius Home Services has your back. They're your trusted local, let us tackle your to-do list team. Aquarius Home Services is here to assist. 
Whether it's your furnace, electrical work, or plumbing giving you trouble, you choose the service, they will handle the fix and take $98 off your repair cost. That's right. For any furnace, plumbing, or electrical repair, they're slashing $98 from the price. They're a one-stop shop. Watch your to-do list shrink while you reclaim your time. No more worrying about flickering lights, leaky toilets, or noisy furnaces. Their dedicated professionals respect your home and your time. Aquarius believes in earning the right to be recommended. They're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. And don't forget to mention that Rousseau sent you. Huxley Optical is more than just the op official glasses shop of Brock Faber. They're a local small business that makes glasses for the whole family. If you need prescription sunwear, gaming, or office lenses, Huxley is here to help. They'll even put new lenses in your own frames. Huxley's experienced staff knows what looks best on you and is happy to help you find a pair you love. Huxley is so good at what they do. They even picked out a pair of glasses for me. It fits perfectly. I look stylish. And it was so, so easy. Huxley makes shopping for your glasses always easy. The folks at Huxley know what they're doing, whether you need glasses for your computer, sports sunglasses, or an everyday pair. Huxley can help you find something you love and save you money in the process. In fact, Huxley Optical is here to help you get more from your HSA and FSA flex spending accounts. Find out more today at HuxleyOptical.com or go to their Roseville or Wyzetta locations. Back here, worst seats in the house, Michael Russo, Anthony LaPanta. Uh, we are doing a live show on January 16th at Tuttle's at 7 p.m. Also a live show January 22nd at Split Rocks. Uh, can't wait for that. I love going to both those places. Um, here's a question, a broadcaster uh, question from Francis Weber. Wants to know, um, what are some things that Anthony does differently now than he did 10 years ago to maintain vocal performance? Um, one is, are you allowed to talk at home? I'm allowed to talk at home, but I get second guessed. Uh, actually, this is, I can't believe this question Margo's came like, up. Because uh, Margo's, Margo's been, like, quiet down, save uh, your voice. No, I know. It is, um, I will tell you that this year has been more challenging in terms of voice than a lot. The I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but arenas are colder now than they've been. It's unbelievably cold. Yeah. cold. And maybe it's uh, getting older, it's harder to to fight through that. but. The, we actually have in a couple buildings and we just had one in our booth the other night, brought a space heater in there. It's amazing how different it, how much easier it is to maintain your voice. Jeff Rimmer works with a space heater next time. I know he does. Our general manager booth plugged so many of them in that they blew a fuse at a recent home game because it was so cold in their booth. So there is a challenge to that. And so I've taken to, I used to just drink maybe six or seven bottles of water during every broadcast. And the last few, I've tried to cut that back to maybe five, and then I'll have hot tea in between periods to try to keep the throat a little warmer, just because it, it truly, when it gets cold, it has, you have a tendency to kind of squeak if you're not in mid-flow. So it's, I got to figure it out, but it's, I don't really do anything in terms of exercises. It isn't like I run around the house yelling and screaming to keep the, vo the voice going, but I have noticed that if I'm on the flow of a call, it isn't, there isn't a lot that's different because you're kind of, it's like you're, you've done a warm up already and now you start to run mm -hmm. as opposed to if you just jumped out of your car and started to sprint down the street and you pull a hamstring or something. Yeah. So if Ryan Carter's talking and all of a sudden something happens and he stops to try to like punch out the call immediately, isn't as easy as it once was. Yeah. So it's I'll, probably a combination yeah. of. Cold, dry air in the buildings yeah. and old age for me. I well, mean, it's funny. I, was, I watch uh, 
like a lot of times when I go to sleep, I'll actually put on YouTube and watch like YouTube concerts from the sphere. I don't know why it is. I just love the look of the sphere. Can't wait to go there and see a concert. But Bono was talking during one of the concerts the other day about how like, like singing in the desert is tough. And he like pointed out, he's got all these like glasses next to him. He goes, I promise you it's water and not like, you know, right. like vodka or it, whiskey it, or whatever. It's a real thing. Yeah. And it's the. Maybe, you know, like, like also like a singer, you got to go get your voice box checked. You but, know, a lot of times people get polyps on it when you belt out a lot of stuff and you've, you've called a lot of scores over the late <laughs> years. Do you know why the arenas are colder? Why? No, I don't. I'm asking you if you oh, know. I assume it's the ice. It's to keep the ice. Right. But yeah. it's changed in the last two years. No, no, it's crazy. It's we, we were somewhere the other day where I was, oh, it was the Excel Energy Center. I, I got there early to work. I, I honestly couldn't type. I had to go down right. to the press room. So the, we were in Boston. This is, by the way, before the arena opens to fans. And it I think is. that's, that's one big reason is I do think that they have really it, figured out that when you, put 19,000 seats fans suddenly into arena, it warms the temperature up. warms right. up and it affects the ice. So we were in Boston on the recent trip and I was trying to do my prep beforehand. I, I quite literally had to sit on my hands to keep them warm enough so that I could write because it was so cold in the building. And then when we were in uh, Columbus, it was not only cold in our booth, there was a draft like a the I don't know if the air conditioning or whatever it is that was blowing cold air on us when our stats guy who will just hand me a little it's essentially a post-it note without the glue on the back when a goal happens because I can't always hear mm -hmm. over the speaker who gets the assist he'll write it down and set it down next to me he'd set it down it would blow away before I could pick it up it was I thought, <laughs> who thought this was a good idea to put like the air conditioning vent blowing directly on the play-by-play -play yeah. guy in this booth. Well, that is uh, a lot of arenas have the, the, the big blowers putting right into the press box. It's a, uh, it's, uh, you know, between the speakers and the blowers, I think we're all like, when we're like 70, you're not going to be able to do anything. You're not going to hear. <laughs> we nothing. sound like a couple like old codgers, oh, like I the am. Muppet judges are yeah. here, like complaining yeah. about this because it is all relative. Yeah. Like it wouldn't the, be a, a Russo podcast if I didn't whine true. about something. But there are a few exceptions. Like we were in Winnipeg on the when we went up there just before the new year, and it's comfortable in their press box. So mm -hmm. some have figured it out ways to keep it a comfortable temperature in the press well, that's box. Because they only get eleven thousand people. Well, again. that's true, and they just put girders wherever they want to yeah, exactly. make sure that you hoist the press box. Yeah, um, I think that's why uh, Winnipeg Twitter is just so crazy because nobody goes to the game, so they're just all on Twitter. All right, um, I had to take a shot at Jets fans. Um, anyway, um, you know, the, it's interesting you bring it up, though. The, I think I mentioned it. I can't remember if I did it on our show or just talking to you. There were more wild fans for that game in Winnipeg than I've ever seen up there before. And for how close it is, I've always thought that was a little strange. Now, part of it is the flights are so expensive to get up there, but, yeah. but people could make the drive. But the arena's small. And tickets were always so hard to come by. I talked to at least three or four wild fans that said this was the first time I ever looked online and could get tickets at, yeah. a, at a decent it price. It used to be that Jets fans would come here because it was the right. only was way they could see a game. game. Right. And, and, and yeah. it's not because they have a bigger remember, fan they had base. they the smallest arena in the league besides the fake one in Arizona. Right. Um, so, and they're still but not it was, it was really interesting to see the number of wild fans up there. Yeah. So it's, we'll see if I, that changes now that they're the best team in the league on, at least, uh, in the standings, maybe they yeah. seem reluctant to jump on board right now. Yeah. And I, I know they've had some issues with their ticket prices keep going up and that might be scaring some people away, but I know there's a little bit of concern up there in the market. Yeah. And well, I mean, they had to pay Hellebuck and Shifley and these guys. 
Um, but uh, to your point, it's so expensive to get up there. I'm actually for the February 20th game, probably driving. Um, because I, You're I cannot actually going to go. Yeah. But I can't miss that game. I mean, every time we go, we don't go. Kaprizov gets hurt. Um, it's the only, I mean, it is so expensive to get up there. It's the only road game that we essentially cover from TV. It's crazy. Speaking by the way of, um, actually, I don't know what speaking by the way, that was a stupid transition, but you know what? I just got a text from Joe Smith while we we're going to both like Jesper, uh, Jesper Volstadt. He speaks on game days. So on the morning of his NHL debut, he's talking to the media. We'll see how that long that lasts because a lot of goalies, even Marc-Andre Fleury on night, on morning, on when he's starting, will not talk to the media. Although that's... He does talk on the side to yeah, anybody well, who will stop like, by. Yeah, it's like he, he doesn't do like formal interviews, but sometimes you just can't even stop. You go even near his stall and you just start shooting the breeze with you and you're always like a little hesitant to talk back because you know that his rule is that you can't speak. Remember Nicholas Backstrom used to speak all the time on the morning of games and then he stopped. Um, Devin Dubnik's the only one um, that I remember covering where he just always talked on game days, no matter what. Um, obviously, Marty Brodeur was like that. Speaking of old players, um, here's a good one. And I'm going to throw this to you and it's going to be off the top of your head. So you, you're probably going to like an hour from now be like, I wish I had mentioned <laughs> this guy. But Cody asked, um, of the players that you've covered or watched, what would be your starting lineup of your favorite players? He's asked this question many times before and we haven't answered it. So I figured we would. Um, Starting lineup among wild yeah. players. Like I can't think of starting lineups because I have so many favorites, quote unquote. But um, you know, like like if I if I were picking wild players that I've enjoyed, and this again would be maybe a full roster. Like in goal, I would I mean, again, I don't like doing this off the top of my head, but I would have probably guys like Backstrom, Dubnik, and Flower. Um up front, well, probably guys like starting lineup. You have no, three no, goalies? but again, I'm just saying like a, a we're just gonna call it our favorites that we like to deal with. I mean uh, Ralston, Parrish, Parisi. Uh, he was awesome to deal with. Uh, Nino and Coyle, Bruno and Walls. Who else for you? Uh, Erickson X, Stahl, Colin, Felino, Keatley. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm Bukestad, thinking about if we're just Boogie. talking about we're talking about our favorite yeah. players to cover. Wait, since so I did not, forward and goalies. I'm gonna go defense because it's off. Well, the top you've of got head right 17 now. forwards and go three Nick goalies Schultz, in your starting we're lineup. Go Nick Schultz, Curtis Foster, Nate Prosser, Jared Spurgeon, and we'll go Brent Burns. All right, go. Well, and then I'm doing Florida just to spite you. All right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to take the guy's request and I'm going to say my starting lineup, this is favorite players, not best players. I think Mark Andre Fleury probably would be my goaltender. He's been terrific. So I'll go with Fleury. I'll go with Spurgeon on defense. And actually one of my favorite guys to cover was Marco Scandella because I love talking oh, Italian yeah. food with him. So yeah. remember when he go, told us that the yeah to the go, one restaurant in Montreal to go to that we had to go to blew up blew up because of a mafia hit. <laughs> yeah, that was so that as soon as that happened, then I trusted him. Yeah. So because he also recommended to Emma to us, which became yeah. one of our favorites. So I'd go Scandella and Spurgeon, and then up front. Heatley would for sure be in yeah, my Heatley three has, forwards yeah. just because he was so colorful and entertaining. Uh, West Walls, I have to put in there just because otherwise he'd scowl at me the next time we're in the booth. So, Oh, I didn't mention Ryan Carter. Yeah, I'd almost too. have I'll to put Carter in there. because. So I guess I'd have to go those guys. So I'll go Carter, well, that's Walls, That's going to be a great starting lineup. Yeah. Carter, Walls, we're and not, Heatley. You, we, the, he said favorite okay, people right. to cover, not best players, but... I'll go Walls, Heatley, Carter up front, Spurgeon, Scandella on defense, and Fleury in goal. All right, I gave you my Minnesota Wild ones. Let's see if you I can give remember me 17 Florida. 17 forwards and three no, goalies. No, I'm giving you an entire lineup. No, you, give me three. You got three. No. 
you, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. I, I, I right, will not. Because it's I easier want, just to. I don't want to make like, people feel bad. You right. know, there's a lot of these players that listen to this podcast exactly. every single week. You better they, believe there um, are. Yeah. So Florida, I would go, uh, obviously, Pavel Bure, Dino. Dino was amazing to cover. I'll go Parrish and Cullen because I covered them both there. Um, I'll go Dave Gagne. They were Gagne. already mentioned on your Minnesota team. Yeah, I know. Among your 17 starting um, forwards. I'm going to go Dave Gagne, uh, Rob Niedermeyer, uh, Stu Barnes, Tom Fitzgerald is amazing, Billy Lindsay, uh, Scott Mellenby, Ole Jokin and Jody Hull, Stephen Weiss, Val Bure. How about Peter Worrell? Who else? Darcy Hordachuk. I got to tell you a Darcy Hordachuk story, but let me, let me, let me go defense. Um, I'll go Gord Murphy and Jovanovski. Well, at least this will be a competitive game because it'll yeah. be the starting lineup for Minnesota, these 17 forwards, yeah. and the starting lineup for Florida, these 16. I'll go... Uh, it'll be like watching Bandy. Gord Murphy and Jovo, Brett Hedekin, Paul Laws. Um, how about in goal, we'll just go Luongo and Kidd. You know what was cool about covering Florida? I loved Trevor Kidd, by the way. Uh, what was cool about covering Florida is we actually had a bunch of guys that would wind up in the Hall of Fame. Like, I covered Igor Larianov and Mike Vernon, Joe Neuendijk. Um, Essa Tikkanen, who I don't think is in the Hall of Fame, Gary Roberts. Um, but I, I remember once during the 2005 lockout being in a internet cafe. Remember those things in Europe? Because that was the only way you could go get internet, Wi-Fi. And we're over there. And remember, if the lockout ended, and I had no idea when the lockout would end, so I'm over there in Europe and need to write this free agent story in the middle of July that the Wild, that the Panthers signed Gary Roberts and Joe Newendike. And so I leave them a voicemail on their phones, but this is again, sort of even pre, like you can get in touch with me. So I leave them both voicemails. I'm like, you're not going to believe this. Uh, this is Mike Russo. I cover the Panthers for the Sun Sentinel. I'm in Europe. I have no way for you to call me. Could you call me at this internet cafe that I'm working at? And all of a sudden I'm sitting there working like about 30 minutes later. And I, I get, I hear this like lo loud voice from the front of a guy speaking in, a sp in Italian. I'm in Rome. And the guy's like, is there a Michael Russo here? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, is that Joe Neuendijk on the phone for you? And I go over there and I interviewed Joe Neuendijk at the counter of this internet cafe in Rome. It was hilarious. Let me tell you this Darcy Hordachuk story. One, So it's, the, it's one of the years where Rick, Rick Dudley is the coach and the GM. So it would have been the year that they fired Mike Keenan. And eventually John Torchetti actually took over as interim coach uh, for that team. But we're in on a long road trip. Um, out west in western Canada and the trip ended in Edmonton and um, I asked at the beginning of this road trip in Vancouver I asked uh, Rick Dudley if I could fly home with the team because back then it was like 1am essentially that the game would end and I would not be able to get quotes and I'd file at the gun at the Sun Sentinel because it was, again it was 1, 1 30 in the morning eastern time and I, so I'm like, there's no way, there's no reason for me to stay and take my commercial flight. So he goes to me at the beginning of the road trip. Yes. And they go on this long road trip. Don't win a game. They get smoked in Edmonton. And Rick Dudley has now forgotten the fact that I'm on the team bus and plane flying home on their charter. And, uh, so I'm in the back of the bus after I file and I am trying to be basically disappear because Rick Dudley gets on the bus and he goes, anybody, and you know how long it is to go from at that time, Rexall place yeah, it was a long to ride. the airport it's like a, almost an hour you know 45 minutes he gets on the bus he goes if anybody says an effing word on the way to the airport i'm gonna effing kill you and oh whatever so i'm sitting there and i'm hiding and i'm sitting next to darcy hordachuk and darcy all of a sudden turns to me and i've covered him at this point for a couple months and he turns to me he goes and we're like 10 minutes into the ride he goes to me so where are you from mike 
And I'm just like, are you kidding me right now? And so anyway, I'm like, originally, I grew up in Boca Raton. And he starts talking to me, having this conversation on this quiet bus ride at like one, at like, you know, probably 11 p.m. Uh, Edmonton time, 1030 p.m. Edmonton time. And all of a sudden, Rick Dudley's just swings his, his uh, head around to see who the heck was talking. I have never wanted to squirm more. And Darcy was just not getting it. He continued the conversation. And finally, I get on the, uh, on the team plane and I have to walk past Dudley. And you should have seen his face when he realized that I was actually on that bus. And the plane, he completely forgot that I was flying over the team. Which is probably why you're not allowed on any team Wild planes card. anymore. Yep, good point. Um, Jonathan Oliver asks, regarding the penalty and power play, or lack thereof, is this a personnel issue, a coaching scheme issue? What do you think's happened? Because their PK has become abysmal again. Yeah. Um, and uh, especially against Dallas. They've given up six power play goals this year against Dallas after nine in the playoffs. And there's a... The Dallas thing is, it's weird. I, I don't know how to explain it. Six power play goals, four shorthanded goals in two head-to-head meetings. I've never seen anything like it. But I, 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 we've been studying this a lot over the course of the season. And I think that there's a perception out there that the power play and penalty kill have been a mess to this point of this question, either structure-wise or personnel-wise. And the truth of the matter is, statistically what it's... The, their save percentage and shooting percentage are the story. If you look at their power play, and, and I know that Wild fans are convinced and have been forever that the Wild are the only team in the league that doesn't shoot the puck enough on the power play. If you look at shots on goal per two minutes of power play time, the Wild are number two in the NHL. They get more shots on goal per second of power play time than every team but one in the NHL. In terms of high danger chances on the power play, they're fifth. High danger chances per, per two minutes of power play time. The, the difference is their shooting percentage is 25th. On the penalty kill, their shots on goal against per two minutes is fifth. High danger chances against, fifth. Save percentage, 24th. That's the story. It has nothing to do with the way that they kill it, the way that they attack on the power play. They generate plenty of shots. They generate plenty of chances. They limit shots. They limit chances. This year, they just haven't gotten the saves they need, and they haven't gotten the finish they need. 25th in shooting percentage, 24th in save percentage. That's the story, and it really isn't any more complicated than that. So you could say that, well, their shooting percentage is down because all their shots are from the perimeter, but that's not the case. Their high-danger chances are fifth most in the league Mm -hmm. on the power play. And you could say that it's they give up too many. It isn't. They give up the fifth fewest in the league this year it's just at least to this point they haven't had the finish they haven't had the saves and part of the finish is that they haven't had their full lineup a lot this season so I think that has something to do with it too but we'll see if it continues over the course of the year I actually like the way their power play has looked lately and other than the Dallas game it had come through at a pretty good clip it had been 28 percent over the previous nine games I, they're going to have to have it from here to the finish because you are not going to be able to put together the kind of run they need in the second half without a power play that's helping you out. Absolutely. Uh, Johnson from Wisconsin, and this will be uh, one of our final questions. Is there a Nino trade to be had out there, an offensive money player who has fallen out of favor with the team that drafted him and is disappointed in the results? I wonder when GMBG starts the deadline dealing because I see Duham, JoJo, Maroon, and Bogo as prime candidates. You, I don't, I don't see them trading Johansson. 
Um, I definitely, the other guys are group threes, so they make sense. As far as a Nino trade, I mean, remember Nino was making $5 million. That's what, that's part of the reason why he was traded. Um, is that, that Paul Fenton, uh, wanted to get out of that contract and to do it. They, you know, took back, they took out as bad a contract. Yeah. Um, but that was probably why remember at that point, Nino was downgraded into the lineup and things like that. Uh, Billy G. Wild fan asked, do we have an answer on the Europe and his situation yet? Uh, no, uh, he could re-sign uh, still in uh, Russia. Um, another, uh, here's a good uh, final question. Is Ariana still here? She's going to love this question. Uh, Natron asks, uh, based on his social media posts and restaurant discussions on the podcast, I'm wondering, you know who will love this question too? Kevin Gorg and Dan Myers. I'm wondering if LaPanta ever eats lowbrow food, like maybe a Cheeto or a Sloppy Joe or something. <laughs> well, I will eat lowbrow food, that's for sure. And I guess by lowbrow, I don't eat fast food. I will say that. I can't even, I, I shouldn't say I can't remember. We stopped eating fast food when Vinny was six months old and really cut it out of our life. Now, the wild media crew made me try in and out burger a couple times. And I went there once with Gorg and Dan. And honestly, I thought it was terrible. I did too. I thought yeah. there's nothing special about yeah. it. Yeah. And, but I, and I, I'll have a burger. I, I guess that's what I would say. It's yeah. not that I thought it was terrible. I'm just it's like, just why? No different yeah, than like, any other, yeah, like no other, no different than any yeah. other fast food burger I've ever yeah. had in my life. I also and, made them promise because we went in Anaheim by, yeah. by your hotel there, the West and the Costa Mesa. There's an in and out on that main drag. And I said, I will go as long as I don't have to wait. That was my goal. I'm not waiting on a thousand car right. well, drive through line. And the so they thing, had to like order we, ahead and we did that. We had probably three or four trips out there where they took the media bus like a half hour out of our way so that these guys could go to In-N-Out Burger. I was like, we won't go four minutes out of the way so I can go to Starbucks, but we'll go, we'll drive a half an hour to go to In-N-Out Burger. And they all like, oh, it's different, it's different, it's different. So I don't eat fast food. I'm more than happy, like not every meal we eat is at a great steakhouse or seafood place on the road. I'm fine with a sports bar burger every once in a while. I don't eat, I don't eat many French fries. <laughs> I don't really remember the last time I had Cheetos, but I am a salty guy, so I like salt as my- I brought my, you to my cigar club a couple of weeks ago. You didn't have any Cheetos there? There's no, I didn't have any Cheetos. I had some cashews. <laughs> I, I do like- they even have Fritos at that cigar club. And I like to have, I love bourbon, and with it, I love having something salty. So I do, my weakness is not sweets, it's more saltiness. So, like, I'll love to, if I'm having cocktails, to have pretzels or nuts with them is a, I can't stop eating them. So there, I do eat, if that counts as lowbrow food, I, I will eat lowbrow food from time to time. I do the other weakness I would have would be for pizza and we, we don't eat a lot of it. And when we do, we build our own at home and, and usually use cauliflower you crust a black for that. Sheep the other day. I did. And that was the night before the yeah, healthier January. Had, right. She was, was so much in a better mood that she day. Was, she was happy that yeah, night, wasn't she? Was, she? she was. I hopefully, hopefully I know that she left in the part of the middle list, but hopefully she hears the end. All right. Fun episode of uh worst seats in the house. Our next live show is six six days from today at Tuttle's on January 16th, 7 p.m. Again, uh, come on out early. You can get a, a pint of Grain Belt. Um, I believe also we're going to be giving away the Capri Sef jersey that night, I think. I, I can't remember. Are you asking me or telling me? I don't know. I, I don't know. I probably should know that. Um, but again. <laughs> you should uh, also know who to ask. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, you, you, 
I'm sure you didn't even know this stuff was going on. I um, knew so we were giving away pint glasses. Yep. So pint. If you get a, a pint of grain belt, you get to keep the worst seats in the house. January 22nd at Split Rocks is 7 p.m. as well. So come on out to those. Thanks to our awesome sponsors, especially our newest sponsor, Olivia uh, Weight Control Centers. Um, and again, this is the Aquarius Home Services Studio. Uh, thanks to Olivia Weight Control Centers, Bosch, Bosch Law Firm, Twill in the Adina Galleria, Aquarius Home Services, your local authorized dealer of Connecticut Water Systems, uh, Royal Credit Union, and Huxley Optical. Talk to you January 16th, everybody. So much coming out, there's nothing going in. Oh, but the world won't forgive a winner. Originally, I grew up in Boca Raton.